Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. together. It's great to sing with you and let's continue in our worship. If you got a, a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn with me to the very beginning and flip over a few chapters to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, we'll have it on the screen next to me. You can follow along there or if you're using your phone, you can dial it in there and I'm using the CSB which is the Christian Standard Bible. I love for you to follow along with me in Genesis chapter 40. Some of you remember back in the day how we used to buy things at the store like normal people. Now we get everything shipped to us, don't we? Which I'm not complaining, I love it. I remember the very first time I saw an advertisement that you no longer had to go to the drugstore to buy razors. Men and women are like, yeah, that's awesome, right? And they said, we'll actually ship them right to your door. And the the brand that I really enjoyed, I didn't even really know anything about their razors. All I knew was their marketing scheme was to give us a bunch of photos of really cool guys sitting in cityscapes. And guys like me will buy the razors. And so I thought, I got to have these razors because I want to be that guy sitting on that bridge like that. He looks so amazing. And so I ordered these razors. Now this was early on. This was a while ago. And they said, hey, thanks for your purchase. And they sent me an email. Here's your tracking number. I was like, what's a tracking number? I mean, this was a a ways back now, okay? And I clicked on it, and I was like, oh, a tracking number means that I can track where my razors are until they get to me. I was blown away. I'd never seen technology like this before. It said, your razors were just created a label in New Jersey, and they're on their way to you. Now, I tell you what, once you get a shipping label or a tracking label number, It makes waiting so much easier, doesn't it? Because now there's a timeline. You don't have to know when it's going to get to you. You can actually see every stop along the way. Look, it just checked in in Peoria, Illinois. And then you wake up the next morning, it's like, it just got shipped to Grimes, and it's out for delivery. And I'm like, this is extraordinary. They're almost here, and I have the smoothest face ever. And then finally it said, your razors have been delivered and they're in the mailbox. And I went out and got them. And I tell you what, waiting was much easier and even much more bearable because I had a timeline. Waiting. It's often an overlooked aspect in the Christian life, but many people of the Bible had very important seasons of waiting. Abraham and Sarah waited for years to have their promised son. Moses waited 40 years in the wilderness before he went back to Egypt, just being a shepherd. David had many years before when he was anointed king before he actually became king. And our Savior Jesus waited 30 years before he ever started his public ministry. 
And if you read biographies of different heroes of the faith all throughout church history, you'll see most of them had a season of shaping that was a season of waiting. We all have seasons of waiting. It's part of life. We don't enjoy waiting, but often it is the tool that God uses to shape us and to grow us in the waiting. But waiting on God can be difficult, can't it? You with me on that? Sometimes it's not easy because waiting on God doesn't come with a tracking number. You don't have a timeline. You don't know when it's going to end. But here's one thing I want to tell you you can be sure of this morning. God is working while you are waiting. God is working while you are waiting. So we see this story here. We're looking at the life of Joseph. So far things have been pretty grim. He finally gets to Egypt and he's in Potiphar's house and God is blessing him and he's excelling there and he runs into this really bad mamma jamma Potiphar's wife. And she starts to try to seduce him. And eventually he is accused of attempted rape and now he is in prison. But while he is there, he is still being blessed by God. He's made his way up into the head of the prison. In fact, to the point where the warden doesn't even worry about the prisoners anymore because Joseph is that extraordinary and that trustworthy. But all the while, Joseph is waiting. He is now 28 years old. Did you know it's been 11 years since the pit? That's how long it's been, and he is still waiting. Now, waiting, when we think about that, when the scriptures talk about it, it doesn't mean doing nothing or being idle, just waiting for your number to be called, but doing a lot of work. And while you wait, staying within the confines of what God has called you to do in obedience to him. So when you think of waiting in the Bible and in your life right now, think about it more of waiting on tables at a restaurant. There's constant activity. They're always moving. God wants us to be faithful, to be serving and worshiping him while we wait on him. Genesis chapter 40 verses 1 through 8 Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, after this the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant and they were in custody for some time. The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker who were confined in prison each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each had its own meaning. When Joseph came in the morning, he saw them, and looked, they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in his custody with him in the master's house, Why do you look so sad? We had dreams, they said, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Here's what I want you to see. God is working in our waiting to help us, to help others through us. 
God is working in our waiting to help others through us. We meet two prisoners here. Both of them are with Joseph, and they work in Pharaoh's food service. One is in charge of making the food, and one is in charge of tasting the food to make sure it's not poison so that Pharaoh could eat it without dying. Now, I don't know, perhaps Pharaoh got sick after dinner and he blamed it on these two guys, or maybe he accused these two of plotting against him to bring about his demise. We don't know why they're there, but we do know that Pharaoh isn't happy and he puts them in jail along with Joseph, and Joseph becomes their personal attendance. It says here that he was in custody with them for some time. So while Joseph was waiting... God had ordained a prison ministry for Joseph. He's not there just for himself. He is there for the benefit of others, just like you and I. In our waiting, sometimes God does that for the benefit of others, so that others will be blessed through us. And here as well, it is a depiction of what Jesus says in Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Joseph is giving what seems to be a small task, but one day, just a short time later, will be giving a huge task. And in the meantime, Joseph isn't pouting, but he's looking to see how he can serve others to benefit them and to serve his God. And he comes to them and he says, you guys look distraught. Why are you so sad? Now, isn't that amazing? Of all the people in this prison, Joseph should have been the one that looked like that, and they should have been coming to him if they knew anything about his story. But we'll find out later, they didn't even know his story. But Joseph comes in and he says, why do you look so sad? And they say, Joseph, we've had dreams. Now, that was a big deal to Egyptians because they believed that when they fell asleep, they went into another realm and could communicate with the, with the gods during that time. So this was a huge deal, and God actually did use dreams to bring about his plan to people. But they come to him and say, hey, listen, there's no one that can interpret these dreams. And Joseph says, doesn't interpretation belong to the Lord? He's still proclaiming God. He's still worshiping God, and they are, he's telling them what their dreams mean based upon what God says. He's not just looking to get through his waiting. He's worshiping God in the midst of it. Look at verse 9 at the interpretation of these dreams and these dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dreams, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in his hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed them in Pharaoh's hand. This is the interpretation, Joseph said to them. These three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. But you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were a cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that I should be put in this dungeon. 
So he tells the cupbearer about his dream. He says, those vines equal three days. And in just a few days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and you are going to gain the original position that you once have. Now the baker, who was a little nervous to ask about his dream, then hears the good news of the cupbearer's dream, and he goes over and he asks, Hey, Joseph, can you tell me my dream as well? Look at verse 16. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of, of white bread were on my head. In the top of the basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Verse 18 says, this is the interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. And in just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. Can you imagine this? The joke is, he comes over and he's like, listen, I got these pastries on my head. Here's what's going on. What can you tell me about it? And then I look at this and I'm like, Joseph is like that guy that loves to keep people in suspense. He's like the ha-ha, gotcha guy. You're going to see that throughout this text. And he says to the baker, he goes, hey, those represent three days. And those pastries, you used to bake those all the time. In three days' time, God is, or Pharaoh is going to lift up your head from your body. And I'd be like, dude, why did you just say it like that? I mean, seriously. Couldn't you have been like, uh, bad news, dude, you're going to die? Why did you have to play me like that, right? It's amazing here that this guy's about ready to die in three days, and here's a guy that God has strategically put with him in the sovereignty of God to share about the Lord with him, isn't it? Joseph is not sitting back and sulking and crying and asking why he's there. Instead, God puts him to work and he takes advantage of this prison ministry. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You know that this guy that you just helped, the cupbearer, is going back upstairs and he's going to go get his spot back and you're thinking, man, my wait is finally over. It's done. I'm going to go up there and they're going to hear my story and I'm going to get out of this prison. He's going to go to bat for me. But look at verse 20. On the third day, which is Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all the servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as, as chief cupbearer and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Oh man, what a gut punch, right? Look at that. I mean, it's like, I'm going to get out of here. And then he forgets him for two more days years. First, I want you to see that God is working in our waiting to help others through us. But secondly, God is working in our waiting, and this one's a tough pill to swallow, sometimes without an explanation to us. Sometimes God works in our waiting and doesn't tell us why. We don't like that one, do we? It's like, if you're going to make me wait, I want to know why. Chuck Swindoll wisely points out here that the Genesis account, this story, does not show us that these two years were meaningful or exciting. 
because they weren't. It was a slow-moving, lonely grind. Now, we know that in these two years, Joseph has other longings. He doesn't want to stay there. He's already told the cupbearer, get me out of here. Remember me. And I believe that Joseph actually models for us very well that as you wait, you can also have other longings. Sometimes I think in the Christian life, it's like, if I'm waiting on God, I just got to suck it up, and I just need to like just sink in and just do this thing. Well, Joseph shows us that he longed to be somewhere else. He didn't want to be in that moment, but yet in that moment, without an explanation, he is doing what God calls him to do. He shows us that we can still be content while longing for something greater. That's what true contentment really is. Whether I'm brought high or brought low, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even though I long to be somewhere else, and some of you this morning are like, I would love to be somewhere else, and that's not wrong. Maybe not like right in this moment while I'm preaching. You're probably thinking that too, some of you, right? But in your life, you're thinking, I long to be somewhere else, and that's okay. But God has you here, and you might not know why. And he wants you to work to worship while you wait for him on his timing. You can be honest about your situation. A couple years ago, I left a stable ministry job that I'd had for 10 years in pastoral ministry. I left and went to a place from work and having a secure job that I loved to working three different jobs for a time that I did not enjoy. And I'll be honest with you, I longed for something else. I longed for something greater. Yet I knew that this is what God had for me in this moment and I wasn't going to waste it. Now there were some days that I did. I watched a lot of Netflix sometimes, okay? I'm not perfect. But I said to God, I am not going to use this season that I don't want and waste it. I'm going to do the best that I can to grow in it, to learn in it. And I'll tell you what, it is a season of preparation for me that I didn't desire. And I am a different leader now than I would have been without that season. Has God dealt with pride, dealt with sin, dealt with many things in my life to mold me and to shape me, using this time of waiting as a season of preparation. So I would encourage you right now, if things are not going as you had planned or as you had hoped, don't just long for the next thing. See it as a season of pruning by God. See it as a season of learning. Lean into it. Serve. Get involved and wait on God. And I'll tell you what, when Joseph finally emerges from that prison, I can tell you that he emerged as a different leader. Those two years, he didn't know why he was still there, but he came out as a different person. Use your season to be shaped by God, even when you don't know why. But the story continues, and you guessed it, we got more dreams. This time, it's Pharaoh himself. He's disturbed. 
he wakes up, nobody can interpret his dreams. And the cupbearer's memory is then jogged about an old friend of his who's downstairs in prison. Look at chapter 41, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me in the chief baker in custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was there. He told him our dreams. He was tempted. He, was, he interpreted our dreams for us. And each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and uh, the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph. They quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear dreams and interpret them. I want you to see thirdly that God is working in our waiting to bring about his plan. God is working in our waiting to bring about his plan. R. Kent Hughes says here that Joseph in a flash was shaved, sanitized, and Egyptianized. He now goes upstairs. Think about his life. Joseph's betrayal, the time in the pit, in slavery, wrongfully accused, in prison, and now 11 years later, God has him standing before the most powerful man in the world, and he's looking to Joseph for answers. Now, Joseph is the ultimate aha, gotcha guy, right? And look at verse 16. I love his response. He says, I am not able to. Joseph answered Pharaoh. That is, I'm not able to interpret your dream. And Pharaoh's like, come on, man. And he chimes in, but God is. God's able to interpret your dream. Now, he tells him about these dreams. We're going to look at these in just a moment here. But look at this. I want you to see this. Even after 11 years and two long years in prison, Joseph isn't bitter. He doesn't say, oh, of course I can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. No, he's still proclaiming God through all this time. And he said, God alone is the one who brings about your dreams and interprets them. He's still confident in the plan of God for him and his life. Look at verse 17. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dreams I was standing on the bank of the Nile... When seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows come up from the Nile and grazed upon the reeds. All right, now I want you to see this in your mind. These are like Iowa cows here, right? Grass-fed, corn-fed, whatever you like. You got that picture in your mind of these beautiful cows that come up out of the river and they're eating. After them, seven other cows, weak, very sickly, and thin, came up. My parents used to live in Florida. Not like the Florida that you go to on spring break that you dream about, like the armpit of Florida right in the middle, and it's disgusting, all right? That's where they live, so don't like, wow, that's really cool. But in the middle of Florida are a bunch of skinny, scrawny cows, all right? So picture that in your mind. You can see their ribs. They're not well fed, and it says this. I've even seen them sickly ones as all of them were in the land of Egypt. Then the, sin, the thin Florida cows ate the first seven well-fed Iowa cows. Their appearance was so bad that I had been there. Then I woke up. Wow, that is freaky, isn't it? 
Now, he doesn't leave the vegetarians. God gives both of you both an opportunity here. He does a picture of cows. And then in verse 22, he gives another image. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, coming up on the stock. After them, seven heads of grain, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven good ones. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could tell me what it means. Then Joseph says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh that it's about to do so. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after them are seven years. The seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the earth's wind are seven years of famine. So you got seven good years. You got seven years of terrible famine. Let's read on. So it is, it is a, just as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. Then the famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will be remembered because the famine follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means the, ma the matter has been determined by God and will carry it out soon. Now, he says that very important there. It's given twice to Pharaoh. How many dreams did uh, Joseph have early on in his life about his brothers bowing down to him? Two, right? He's saying this is the same exact dream and it's given to you twice. You know this is from God. You're going to see seven glorious years that you've never experienced in Egypt before. Seven years of plenty, but don't think that this is going to last forever. You need to appoint someone who is going to be able to get a bunch of people together and save the grain during that good time. Because seven years are following that are going to be really bad, that are going to be terrible. So bad that you won't even remember the good years anymore. You're going to need a guy who's really smart to be able to carry out these things. Verse 37, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house. All my people with, will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I'm placing you over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring, placed it on his finger clothed him with fine garments and placed a gold chain around his neck. He made Joseph ride in his second chariot and the servants called out before him, make way. So they placed him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. No one will be able to raise his hand or foot in the land of Egypt without your permission. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Pinaha and gave him a wife. Say it quickly and confidently. I didn't do it well. I didn't say it quickly or confidently. And you all laughed at me. This is a lot of text here. And he gave him a wife, Potiphar, a priest at On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Wow, talk about a change of events, right? This guy just a few moments earlier is in prison. And now he's second in command in the nation of Egypt. Crazy crazy what God is doing here. God is showing that this has been his plan 
all along. And they said, he wasn't even expecting to be the one that carries out the plan. But Pharaoh says to him, you're our guy. You're the one that is going to bring this about. Listen, God is working in our waiting to bring about our renewal. God is working in our waiting to bring about our renewal. Pharaoh gives to him his signet ring, which represented his authority. He gave him his garments, which represented his dignity. He put a gold chain around his neck, which represented his honor. So he was clothing him with authority, dignity, and honor. And then he prays him around in his chariot. He gives him a new name. He gives him a wife. God had completely taken him from the dungeon that morning to second in command. Listen to me. Don't waste your waiting. God is bringing about his plan in the world and in your life. Don't waste it. He's faithful to do what he says he will do. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, the scriptures say, and he will what? Lift you up. Joseph isn't bitter. He's confident in the plan of God. It doesn't say in the next text, and then he got the cupbearer and put him to death. No, it doesn't say that at all. He knew that it was all part of God's plan. And he didn't try to rush it because he knew that God raises up one and puts down another. So as hard as it is, don't try to speed up the process in God's life, in, in your life that God is trying to do. Let him work in your life. Eventually, he's going to bring about renewal. That's hard, though, because when the timer goes off, you think you're done, don't you? I was waiting, uh, baking some uh, Texas toast with my daughter last night, and we read the directions, and it said, put it in for eight minutes. And we went and sat, and we watched March Madness, and then we heard the timer go off, and we went to the oven to take them out, and they were still mushy. She's like, wait a minute, I don't get it. The timer went off. It's supposed to be done. It's like, just because your timer goes off doesn't mean it's done. Just because the timer feels like it should be going off doesn't mean that God is done with you. Tony Evans says this, God pushes pause in our lives to accomplish the purpose for our lives. Now, I don't want you to miss this and what the scriptures point out. That God doesn't just bring you renewal after the waiting, God's plan is to bring you renewal in the waiting. There's a big difference there. He's trying to renew you while you wait. It's not the exaltation. It's the process of renewal that happens as he shapes you in the waiting. Isaiah 40, verse 31, this was read earlier, it says, But those who, what's it say? Wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. He's talking to people who are spiritually exhausted that are worn out. And God says, that's exactly where you need to be if you're going to be renewed. Is anybody worn out this morning? Anybody tired? God is getting you right where he wants you to be to get a hold of your heart. A.W. Tozer, I think it was him that said, God rarely uses a person before he uh, hurts that person in a good way. Sometimes he has to bring us low in order to bring us high, to mount us up on wings like eagles, to run and not grow weary, 
to walk and not faint. Hang in there. Okay? Hang in there. God is working in your waiting. I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't even maybe even tell you what he's doing, but he cares more about who you're becoming than what the end result is, okay? Hang in there. God doesn't give us a tracking number, but he, did, he does give us some very great and precious promises, doesn't he? He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So let's be good waiters as he prepares us. Now, Joseph is a great dude, isn't he? He's a great man of God. But ultimately, he's not the hero of this story because if you look at this section in verse 37 through 45, it sounds like a lot like another portion of Scripture, doesn't it? It echoes Philippians chapter 2 because Joseph points us to a better Joseph, a perfect Joseph who would not just save humanity for this time but would save humanity for all time who would come from Joseph's family. And this better Joseph would wait 30 years, and he would constantly be saying, the spirit of, it is not my time yet, but the spirit of God is upon me. And in his darkest moments, unlike the cupbearer, he did not forget when someone said, remember me. The lowest of the lowest criminal asked this man to remember him and his response was, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Joseph was able to preserve his family that this man, the God-man, Jesus Christ would come from, that just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You and me after he was humbled he was exalted and given the name above every name that is lord that the name lord jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and confess to the praise of the glory of the father that he is god so once you humble yourself today some of you need to be saved you don't have a relationship with God. Some of you are here and you're looking in and I want to tell you today is the day of salvation. If you humble yourself, confess that you're a sinner and that there's nothing you can do, there's nothing too bad you could do either to be saved and forgiven by God. Humble yourself and place your trust in Jesus that at just the right time he died for the ungodly and place yourself as one of the ungodly as a sinner in desperate need of him. And you'll be saved. And as you go through waiting, it doesn't mean life is gonna be perfect or extraordinary, but you'll have a God that goes through it with you and you cling to his precious promises. That your waiting maybe is for the benefit of someone else. That God isn't told that he's, we aren't told that he's going to tell us the reason why we're waiting. But in the midst of it, if you lean into it, he's going to renew you and make you more like himself. Let's pray.